0: Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long, Jr. We'll get started. Psalm 75. I want you to think on the heels of Psalm 74 from last week. And in fact, at the end, we're going to spend some time kind of putting those two psalms together. Uh, Some wonder if it was one psalm uh, that was broken uh, down into two. And. I want you to listen to some of the same themes because if you remember from last week the psalm was a psalm of some terrible destruction that had come and if you remember the psalmist was expressing his fears and his griefs he found himself taking god almost on a tour of jerusalem and if you remember as the psalmist is walking god through jerusalem and he says see the ruins here and see the temple and the desecration of your temple And he is, he's saying, God, I I see the ruin of the city and I'm really discouraged. And he's more than just discouraged. He's almost deflated and he has fears and he has grief. And then if you remember, he then says, God, it seems like you've rejected your people. We, We don't hear your voice any longer through the prophets and you're being reviled by your enemies and you're doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, what seems to happen with the psalmist is that he turns from sharing his fears and his grief to exercising his faith in God. And it's an exercise of faith. He actually has to tell himself and he talks himself to it. And he does that by reflecting on the past acts of God's work for his people. He talks about the fact that God, you're my savior king and God, you are sovereign over nature. And as he looks at those themes of God, as he sees God as big, he finds himself feeling a greater level of encouragement. And then he prays and he says, God, I pray that you would remember your covenant with your people, which is so important. And then he ends by talking about the reputation of God. So I want you to keep that in mind as we move into Psalm 75 tonight, because Psalm 75 takes on some of those exact same themes. Now, there are two specific themes I want you to consider tonight. It's the call to sinners to repent and it's the call to the righteous to praise. Those two themes are pretty significant in these 10 verses, the call to sinners to repent and the call to the righteous to praise. Uh, The outline is going to be uh, pretty basic. There are going to be four sections. I've entitled this the God of Justice. I think you'll pick up why, and that God reigns over all. And uh, those themes. And here are the four sections of um, our work tonight. We're going to hear four different voices. First, we're going to hear the voice of the people, the congregation. And the congregation is going to praise God and thank him for who he is. So we'll see that in just verse one. Then we hear the voice of God coming into the picture. And the voice of God specifically, what he does is he assures his people, so he comforts his people, assures them, and then he warns the wicked. So those two themes that we're going to hear, God speaking to his people and then God speaking to the wicked, he is assuring the people, he is warning the wicked. And then we hear the voice of the psalmist, maybe a teacher, maybe the priest, the prophet, whoever it was at that time. And that person comes in and says, God is judge. We're going to see that in verses six through eight, the voice of the people, the voice of God, the voice of the teacher. And then we're going to end with a voice of a worshiper instead of the large congregation. It's a singular worshiper. And that singular worshiper is going to be expressing his faith in God. And I, I want you to think about that as we go through chaotic times, challenging times today, that if we could see God as big and if we can Rejoice with others like we did this morning. Praise God with others. Worship God together. If we can hear God's assurance, if we can know God's warning to the wicked, if we can remind ourselves that God is judge, that can elevate our faith, which is so important. So let's pray and then we'll read this passage together. Father, today I pray that you would remind us that you are a good, good, good Father. That's who you are. Father, we are living in chaotic times. We're living in desperate times. We are living in confusing times. We're living in immoral times. And Father, as these things are rising up, I pray that you would remind us that none of this catches you by surprise because you are the the absolutely sovereign God and you are the infinitely wise God and you are the perfectly loving God. So Father, I pray that you would remind us of your character remind us of your wondrous works i pray that those wondrous works and your character and the wonderful work your saving work through your son the lord jesus christ would buoy us during these times would give us a foundation of security during these times so let us hear through the prophet but more importantly let's hear from you today in jesus name we pray amen psalm 75 to the choir master according to do not destroy a psalm of asaph a song we give thanks to you o god we give thanks for your name is near we recount your wondrous deeds at the set time that i appoint i will judge with equity when the earth totters and all its inhabitants it is i who keep steady its pillars selah i say to the boastful do not boast And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west or not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who exercises judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. He pours it out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. But the horn of the righteous shall be lifted up. That is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life giving, and life changing word. So we're living in really chaotic times. And I want you to remind yourself of Psalm 74. Babylon has come into the land of Judah and has overthrown it. King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took some of the royal leaders and some of the young people, and he was trying to gain control. A little bit later on, he was not getting enough control, so now he comes in, he swamps, he overwhelms the city. Now, this is where we're looking at. He's overwhelmed the city, he's come into the temple, he's destroyed the temple, and the psalmist is saying, God, this is an evil empire, Babylon, and this is a terribly evil man, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Why are you allowing this to happen to your people? Psalm 74 now in Psalm 75, he begins by reorienting himself, and I want you to hear the four voices that are here. So let's start with the voice of the people, give thanks. It says this in verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. So this is a really important theme for us to do. We, the voice of the people, we need to come together and worship with one another. Worship is so important as we have gone through a time where people have been distanced from each other and not come to church. And I've heard people say that is church. And the reality is you can't really have this kind of worship when you are alone and separated. What the psalmist is saying that I, I come back into the sanctuary and the voice of your people encourages him. Even during the chaotic and confusing times that are happening around him, he is saying that I hear your word. I Discover your word again, and watch what he says. The psalmist talks about this corporate time of worship and thanksgiving, and he uses this repetitive word, we give a phrase, we give thanks. We give thanks. He emphasizes it and tell you that this is really significant. It's emphasizing the duty that we have and the delight that we have in praising God. The psalmist is saying, I'm praising you, God. I thank you, God. Or it's, we thank you. We thank you, oh God. And he says, for your name is near. And it's interesting. That's an interesting phrase. Now, if you're familiar in the Old Testament, the word name or the phrase name of God is important. It talks about his character. It talks about his conduct. It talks about him. It's referring to the person and work of God. And we hear that all the way back into Moses, time of Moses. Moses says, who should I tell them is bringing me here? And he says, I am that I am. He gave him the covenantal name of God, Yahweh. And it's like, I am God. And so in revealing his name, he is revealing who he is, and what he has done. He's revealing the very nature of God. He's revealing himself for his mighty works. He's revealing himself for his incredible acts, his acts of creation, and his acts of saving people. And what's interesting here is that the psalmist says, your name is near. Your creative works and your saving works are near. And the psalmist is reminding himself of this of the fact that God, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, you are near me, which is so important. If you remember in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says this, Psalm 23, verse 4, it says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Then it says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And so what is he saying? He is saying that God is near to him, and he's reminding himself that God is in sovereign control. God is my great comforter. God is my great provider. God is my great protection. God is near, and so I won't fear. And so that's real important for us to think about, that we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you, oh God, because your name, your sovereign works, your character and your works are near me right now same thing as psalm 23 verse 4 so the psalmist says that god i see you near but then he says we recount of your great deeds and so recounting of your wondrous deeds, and he's recounting, he's reminding himself of this, and so this is so important. Once again, this is another reason why church and Bible studies are so important, because when we gather together, what we do is we hear of what God has done for us. We hear of the works that he's done, the wondrous works. We hear of God in creation. We hear of God in saving. We hear of God's work through the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to Passion Week this week. We hear of Christ coming into Jerusalem. We hear Christ's crucifixion on friday or whatever day it was we hear his rising from the dead on easter sunday And as we hear these acts as we hear of what god does what it should do is it should remind us that god will judge his enemies and he will vindicate the righteous if you think about this that every saving act that god did it was a form of judging someone and then purging or forgiving someone so when he takes his people out of egypt What does he do? He's saving his people, and he's rescuing them from their captors. When he takes them through the Red Sea, he saves them. When he takes them into the promised land, he is conquering enemies, and he's vindicating his people. He did that constantly throughout the Old Testament. He's doing that again here in the New. The psalmist is recounting back to what he's done in the Old, and the saving acts of God include his judgment. And it's instructive for us as God's people today. It's instructive for me. As we go through these times, it's challenging times that we need to get together and praise and worship with one another. But it's also really important that we need to hear God's word. We need to hear God's word as we read it. We need to hear God's word as it's taught. We need to hear God's word as it's preached. We need to celebrate what God has done for us. We need to celebrate his nearness. We need to celebrate him. And as we do that, the works that he's done, what happens is the chaos and the confusion around you start to diminish when you start to see. The that God is with you. So we start with this, the voice of his people, the voice of his people in verse one. Let's go to the voice of God in verse two through five. The voice of God to his people. Now he's gonna start with his people and then he's gonna go to the wicked. And God is going to speak first to the people and he's going to give them a word of assurance, which is so important. Let's look in verse two. It says this, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. See, now he's reviewed the history, of the, the psalmist has reviewed the history of the world, and he said, God, you brought this world into being just through your own voice, and you rescued Adam and Eve in the garden, you saved them, and you rescued your people constantly. He brought Lot out of Sodom, he, he Constantly, he's bringing his people through times of great trials. And as we read and as we study and as we meditate on the Old Testament, we would find God time after time is rescuing his people. He enters into life and at an appointed time and he saves his people. And God is now saying, I want you to hear my voice. It's going to be at a set time. And the set time is important to me because what it does is it tells me that God is sovereign over time. God is instrumental because he fixes the time. He fixes the time of creation. He fixes the time of our salvation. He fixes the time of our birth. He fixes the time of our death. God is the one that we can know for certain is in control. He says at the set time, at the right time, I will bring this person down. I appoint I will judge. And here the two I's there. It it emphasizes God's sovereignty, not only over time, but over this whole situation. It's left to no one else to judge these people. It is God that is going to do it. I'm going to do this. I will judge them, and I will vindicate you. And then he talks about, I will judge with equity. So what does that mean? and it means a fairness. It means that he is going to judge straight. It's going to be direct. It's going to be right. It's going to be correct judgment. And so the decisions that God makes are always right because he is righteous. So if you remind yourself, you remind yourself of his character, his conduct is always going to come out of his character. His character is righteous, therefore his conduct, his, his judgments are going to be righteous. So the psalmist is saying, or God is saying through the psalmist, at the right time, I'm going to judge, and I'm going to judge with equity. Verse 3, he says this, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars, Selah. Uh, I do love that. And, and so he's in essence saying that God is once again showing his sovereignty over the fact that he provides order. He provides structure. He provides stability in life. He's in essence saying that the world may be chaotic and confusing and overwhelming to you, but I want you to know that everything is stable with me. I am a sure foundation for you. And we're living in times of great immorality. And if you think about the immorality that is happening in our world, the chaos and the confusion, that it's, it's causing a level of instability for individuals, themselves, they don't even know who they are. They don't understand their identity. They're feeling really insecure and overwhelmed. It creates instability for our society as we have evil leaders that try to conquer nations. We have evil rulers that are running nations. Um, We have laws that are godless laws. As nations rise up, it's creating a sense of insecurity with people and maybe an insecurity for you. And it's a sense of pride and arrogance that they rise up against god but as significant as the chaos is and as significant as the confusion is in this world i want you to know that god upholds his creation god is the pillar of his creation do you see that he says i keep steady its pillars that god provides the moral order and god provides the moral structure God provides the moral order and provides the moral structure, and it keeps the world from collapsing. If God removed his moral order, if God removed his moral structure, we would implode, but God keeps that moral order, and for a time, it seems as that the world is going against him, and for a time, it seems that the world is attacking it, but God allows that for a moment, and the world feel like, feels like it's tottering, but God still has his hand underneath it and God will remove those that constantly overthrow his order. Passage in Colossians chapter 1 uh, verse 17 says this, Colossians 1:17 it says And he is before all things, and in him, Christ, all things hold together. That the Jesus Christ is before all things. He is the creator, he's the sustainer, and all things hold together by his amazing work. In Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it's something similar. Hebrews one, three. Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what do we see there? That Jesus Christ, uh, creator, Jesus Christ is the sustainer. So as the world feels like it's tottering, I want you to know that you are secure. And then he ends that section with Selah. And remember, we've talked about sila. is that it is the sense of take time to ponder this, take time to meditate on it, take time to really think deeply about it. That as the world feels like it is going uh, haywire, God is still in control and that God has set the time to judge. He will do it and he will do it with equity. And so I wonder, do you find yourself feeling chaotic, confused at times? do you find yourself feeling fearful and insecure and when you do and do you find yourself disheartened by the moral breakdown of, of our society as the society is breaking down do you find yourself disheartened but also overwhelmed and so as you feel find yourself i want you to think about this they won't ultimately succeed the nations rise up leaders rise up and they will be gone don't forget that god is sovereign remind yourself of who God is and remind yourself of what God has done. Remind yourself that there have been leaders like this throughout time, and they come and they go, nations that come and they go. And so spend time meditating on what God has done in history. Spend time meditating on how God has saved his people through the Old Testament. Spend time really in front of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend time in front of that empty tomb. And as you sit there and meditate on that work, find your stability once again. Again, in the fact that God is in control, and even when your world feels like it's tottering, God is sovereign. He has ultimately rescued you. Remind yourself of that. So he goes, and now he moves to the. Now he moves to the wicked. In verses four and five, so now he's given this assurance and this encouragement to his people, and now what he does is he turns his attention, he gives a word of warning to the wicked, and which I find encouraging to me that God is a God who encourages us as his believers, but then he will warn you if you don't know about the warning, how can you ever turn? He gives the warning to the people and he says. You're on the wrong path. And he says this in verse four I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. So in verses two and three, he's giving this encouragement to his people, but now he comes to the place where he is attacking, he is confronting the wicked. He's focusing on those that are causing the chaos, the anarchy, the immorality in society. He's turning his attention on them, and he's saying, I say to you, once again, hear the word, I, it's God who's saying this, I say to you. Do not boast. God has given them a warning that he's coming as a a judge. Now, this word boasting here is another word for arrogant, you know, rising up. And he says, these are people that have no regard for God, no regard for his commandments. They have an attitude of arrogance. They have an attitude of self-sufficiency. They don't believe that they should have any sense of gratitude to God. They don't owe God anything because everything that they have is because of them. So what they're doing is they're elevating themselves. And so they're constantly putting their trust in themselves. That is this type of person. And God says to them, do not boast. He is saying, I'm drawing the line. And what does he mean here? He says, do not boast. Don't elevate yourself. And then he says at the end, it's a parallelism. He says, do not lift up your horn." Now the horn for an animal is their sense of a power and authority. It's that horn that gives them the sense of authority. That animal bucks with that horn. And so similarly, the we as human beings use that horn or that illustration of our power and our authority in life. And the, their strength, absolutely. And so their boasting is coming from the fact that they think that their power and authority is based on them, human origin, not based on divine origin. They don't see that God has given them the opportunity to have these positions. They're seeing that they've put themselves in these positions on their own. They fail to recognize that God is the one that's lifting them up and that God ultimately will bring them down. Verse 5, it says this, do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. It's an interesting uh, phrase. So once again, similar to what he was just talking about with the horn, power and authority, the pride, the proud people are lifting up themselves. They're arrogantly attacking God. They're expressing their sense of power and authority, and they're almost spitting at heaven and they're lifting up their voice. So they're attacking heaven. They're attacking God, this sense of um The sense of stubbornness that is against God, but the haughty neck is interesting. It's kind of like the animal. Some of the animals at times would be so stubborn that they would lift up their neck so you could not get the yoke on them. And so they're lifting up their neck so high that you can't get the yoke on them. And so in essence, what he's saying is that humanity sometimes acts that way. We lift up our neck so high in such a haughty way that we will not put ourselves under the submission and subservience of God. And so we struggle at times with this. So I want you to hear that God is not only giving an encouragement to the righteous, but he's giving a warning to the wicked. and He's saying, stop it. Now we've heard the voice of the people praising God. We saw the voice or heard the voice of God giving encouragement and warning. Now we hear the voice of the teacher, the preacher, the prophet, whoever it is. And in verses six through eight, he comes in and says, I'm going to teach you something. And I want you to, I want you to hear this: that God is judge. God is judge. In verse six, it says this: for not for not from the east or from the west. And not from the wilderness comes lifting up, verse 7, but it is God who exercises, executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. And so the psalmist is, is just giving a recap and saying, okay, God has already told you, but I'm telling you, you're acting in pride, you're wicked, you're lifting up, you're acting out against God you will be judged. And the psalmist is just giving a parenthesis here or a summary of it, that it's not going to come from the East or the West. Your help is not going to come from people in the world. Your help is not going to come from the wilderness. Your help is not going to come from anyone because it is God who's going to exercise judgment. He's going to execute judgment. He is going to bring you down when you find yourself lifted up. This principle is a principle that we find throughout scripture that those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those that have humbled themselves will be exalted. And that God is going to put down one and lift up another. Once again, he is talking wicked, you're going to be put down. Righteous, you're going to be lifted up. He says this in verse 8, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. This theme in the Old Testament about a cup, the cup takes on the idea of wrath, and it's symbolic of the wrath of God, and as that cup is filled with God's wrath, God's wrath is foaming, it's well-mixed, and it will be poured out, and all the wicked of the earth will have to accept and take God's wrath upon themselves and because they have chosen not to turn to God they have turned to tur- chose to turn away from God and the only way that we're going to find ourselves moving away from the judgment of God is going to be turning to God and recognizing that he is our great savior i don't know if you have your bibles if you do turn with me to first samuel chapter 2 first samuel chapter 2 and you may be familiar with this section is hannah's prayer And Hannah's prayer goes from verses 1 through 10, but I only want to focus on 3 and then verse 6 through 8 and listen to what it says. Well, let's look at verse 1. It says this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. Verse 3, Talk no more so very proudly, let not the arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed, verses 6 through 8. The Lord kills and brings to life, he brings down to Sheol and raises up, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Doesn't that sound very similar? And I I think the psalmist is hearing Hannah's prayer here as he is writing and he's thinking of Hannah's prayer. And if you're familiar with Hannah's prayer, you also know that Hannah's prayer connects to the Magnificat as Mary uh, prayed the Magnificat in Luke chapter two. And in Luke chapter two, Hannah Mary's prayer sounds much like Hannah's prayer. It goes from verses 46 to 56, 55. I'm going to focus on verses 51 through 53 here. It says this in Luke chapter two, verses 51 through 55. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates he has filled the hungry with good things and the riches he has sent away empty the rich he has sent away empty he has helped his servant israel in remembrance of his mercies as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his offspring forever do you hear those same themes there the strength issue, the pride that are brought down, the fact that he helps those that are needy, that some are going to be brought down and some are going to be lifted up, that he's helped his Israel, his servant Israel. He talks about that remembrance theme or counting that we talked about in verse one, and he talks about the promise that God has done for his people. So I, I want you to keep in mind that as you go through these challenging times, I need you to hear that God is judge. It may feel like the world is overrunning God. It may feel like god they're overrunning God's law. It may feel like they are winning, but in the final analysis, God is the sovereign one. God is the all-wise one. God is the self-sufficient one. God is the righteous one. God is our great judge. And all of these things work together for good. But I guess one other thing I want you to think about before we move to the last section, God is a promise keeping God. If you notice in Hannah's prayer, and specifically here in the Magnificat, he, Mary says this, as he spoke, God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so, so he's She is reminding herself of the covenant-keeping God, that God is a God who keeps his promises. So yes, he is self-existing. Yes, he is personal. Yes, he is sovereign. Yes, he is wise. But he is personal to you, and he's a covenant keeper. And as you remind yourself of his promises and remind yourself that he doesn't ever fail his promises, we are faithless. He will remain faithful. That is such a huge encouragement. So we hear the voice of the people giving thanks. We hear the voice of God to the people and to the wicked. We hear the voice of the teacher. God is judge. And now we end with the voice of the worshiper, a worshiper, a response of faith. So it sounds like it goes to a singular person. And we'll see that because he'll use the word I verse very often here. He says, verse nine, he says, but I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. So you could hear this personal sense here that in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all the immorality that's happening, he is saying, I'm going to praise you. I will declare, I'm going to speak forever. I will sing of the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob, once again, reminds him of the covenantal God, this covenant relationship. Verse 10, all the horns of the wicked all their power, all their authority, all their majesty, I will cut off. So now he's, once again, God says, I'm going to see this cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So the horn, the power, the authority, the majesty of the wicked will be brought low, but the horn, the power, authority, majesty of the righteous will be uplifted. What a great word this is. What a great word this is in the midst of the chaotic and confusing times that we're living in, that God reigns. And so don't ever forget that God is the sovereign one. He is reigning. So where do we see the gospel in this? And several themes. I think first, the theme that God is a creator, the creator, but he's also the savior. And as you remind yourself, as the Worshippers came together in the congregation. They gave thanks. They reminded themselves of a God who was near to them. God, we give thanks to you, O God, because you are near. And then talked about his name, his name, his, his character, and his saving works, and the wondrous deeds that he did. They reminded themselves of that. We, we need to do the same as we come together and think about the gospel and think about what Christ has done for us and how majestic he is. And we should praise God for that we we should look at the cross and see the evil that was dealt with at the cross and we should see the wonder of God's grace at the cross and think about the fact that Christ took our evil what we deserved for our evil he took upon himself he took God's wrath for our evil upon himself. We should see that at the cross. He drank that cup to the dregs. He drank it completely. He took all of God's anger and wrath, which God would have poured out on us as wicked people. He poured upon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and what do we see in the, the gospel? We see that we need to come to the cross humbly, And so we saw that throughout the psalm, that if we exalt ourselves, if we raise ourselves up, if we think we don't need God, if we don't glorify God, if we don't have gratitude to him, we won't humble ourselves. But for the believer, they come before the cross and recognize I've got nothing in my hands. I am completely stripped naked before you. I have nothing, God. I have only my sin to bring before you. And God says, I will take that sin and I'm going to give you my righteous cloak. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you all of that what do we see as well that god is judge and what is god's judgment for the righteous there is therefore now what no No condemnation. condemnation none at all and what do we see as gospel again the gospel should bring us to a response of faith It should give us a response of praise. We should want to worship God. We should want to elevate him. We should want to see him magnified in our lives. So remind yourself, as crazy as this world is, and as much as the attacks come against the church, Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. They will never. All right, so what do we learn from Psalm 74 and 75? I just want you to take a a moment to Selah for a moment i want you to take a moment to to think deeply and i want you to think about all of the themes that he has been trying to lay on us here and the people of God in Psalm 74 are in a terrible time. They have been overwhelmed by a seemingly evil empire, and they can't understand why. And they're in a dreadful time right now, and destruction is upon them. But what we see in Psalm 75 is this. We see the wondrous works of God. We see that God's wondrous works Solves the struggle, solves the greatest dilemmas that we have, that his wondrous works of creation, but his wondrous works in the saving work of his people is going to solve the issue. And that it alters our perspective completely when we could see God for who he is. The center of Psalm 74. I don't know if you remember, turn if you have your Bibles, turn Psalm 74. Let's go back to verses 12 through 17, because that seems to be the central portion of the psalm and there, and then we're going to look at Psalm 75. Psalm 74, verses 12, it says, yet God my king is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the seas by your might. You broke the head of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures in the of the wilderness. You split open the springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of earth and have made the summer and winter. And if you remember this, the central theme is that the the psalmist was able to get to a place where he could say that, God, you are sovereign over saving works. You're sovereign over nature. And I can see that you're in control. Well, similarly, we see a turn here in Psalm 75, 75 verse five through seven. What do we see here? Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck from not from the East or from the West, not from the wilderness comes the lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another from for in the hands of the Lord, there was a cup of foaming wine, well mixed. He pours it out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. What do we see in Psalm 74? At the heart of that psalm is that God is sovereign. And what do we see at the um, heart of Psalm 75? God is sovereign. And we need to keep that as almost a statement of remembrance of promise that as we remind ourselves god is sovereign god is savior god is sovereign god is savior god spoke about who he is and he shared that with you so i want you to remind yourself that god is kingly god is saving god is powerful god is providential god is loving god is gracious god is merciful god is in command of history and as you remind yourself of that god in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of our time it should bring us a greater sense of peace and encouragement that the world may be feeling like it's pretty unstable but we are secure in this world and this world is subservient to him so Trust God fully, Um, know him truly, and remind yourself that we live every day by his grace and for his glory. As we try to bring this home tonight, I want you to think about what it is that you've been feeling in the midst of the chaos and the confusion that's happening today around this world. When you turn on the news, how do you find yourself feeling? And what are some of the things that you have learned from Psalm 74 and 75 about God, about his character and his conduct, and how that character and that conduct can give you a sense of stability? As the world feels like it's shaking, remind yourself that he's the sure foundation. What are the pillars, now, his moral standards, what are the pillars that he has given you that you can rely on? What are the promises that he has given you that you can meditate on? Can you rehearse them and recount them? Do you share them with other people? Do you hear them often? Do you hear the preached word, the taught word? Do you remind yourself of this? Over and over in scripture, God is telling us to remember, and it's the tendency for us to forget. And so I want you to think about what you learned. I want you to think about how you can love God more through this. How can you love God more through the fact that God is an absolute sovereign control? He's your creator. He's your sustainer, your rightful end praise. How can you love him more through this? And what do you need to do to live differently? So what did I learn? How can I love him more? And how can I live differently in light of this psalm? Because this psalm is a nice little psalm. It gives you a nice little out, I gave you a nice little outline, but this means nothing unless it becomes personal. This personal God is personal. It needs to be personal to you. So bring it home today by learning, listening to what you've learned, loving God more and more for his majesty, his sovereignty, his great mercy, his kindness, his judgment, his faithfulness, his promise keeping, and then figure out how to live differently. What am I going to do differently today in light of what I've learned today? Let's pray. Father, as I, as I think about this psalm, I think about all of the statements of truth that the psalmist is sharing with us. He, he gives us the statement of truth that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is so important. We have some people online. Father, thank you for their willingness to join us tonight. We have some people here in the room. And Father, these people are taking time out of your Sunday. I was going to say their Sunday, but it's your Sunday to gather together to hear your word. Hear your word read, hear your word taught, and hopefully hear your word applied in life. So Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the fact that you are a God in the midst of all the chaos and the confusion that's happening. You're a steady God. You are a faithful God. You never change. I thank you for your creative work. I thank you for your saving work. I thank you for your sustaining work. I thank you for the moral law that you gave us. Even as the world rebels against that moral law, Father, it is so gracious because it provides stability for us. Lord, please forgive me for the many times I know the law and I know what it says, and I choose to go against it. Please forgive me for lifting up a high and haughty neck against you and not willing to submit myself and put myself under your yoke, Lord. Please forgive me for that. I thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ was perfectly submitted to you. He came here. He lived righteous. He lived perfectly for me and for every other person that is ever going to trust in you. Lord, I thank you for the fact that when he died on the cross, he paid our full sin penalty. He drank the cup of your wrath to the end. I thank you for the fact that there is no condemnation ever again for us. So, Father, help us to live with the security of knowing this personal God, this loving God, this majestic God, this promise-keeping God is our God. So, help us to see this world through your eyes, through your word, through your promises, through your principles. And, Father, I pray that we would go out and share with others the warning of a judgment to come and the graciousness of a God who saves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.